Have you ever done anything or said anything wrong and for whatever reason you had no way to right the wrong? I mean, you've done or said something and you knew it was wrong and you had no chance to make it right. Uh, or have you ever had something, I mean, it just crawled out of your mouth and the moment it was over your lips, you knew, you knew and you wish you could bring it back. Like the woman and her husband, they were new to town, so to meet people, make friends, they joined a gym. She's sitting there with a lady, and she's wanting to strike up conversation, doesn't really know what to say. And she looks over, and there's her husband playing racquetball uh, with some guy she doesn't know. So she says to this lady, oh, hey, yeah, and there's my husband playing racquetball. He's the normal size guy, not the big guy. And, yeah, so there's this awkward silence, and the other lady goes, yeah, that other guy's my husband, right? I mean, uh, now, here's the deal. As awkward as that conversation is she had the ability to make it right, the opportunity to make it right. So let me ask you this. Have you ever blundered severely and had the opportunity to make it right and didn't? Have you ever had the chance, you were wrong, you could make it right, and you didn't? If this is your first time here, my name is Mike. I'm the lead pastor at MCC. really appreciate you being here. And if you're watching online, thanks for joining us there. And uh, our hope is, listen, if you're in the area, we know that people check us out online before they join us here, that you'll join us here if you're in the area. Or if you're traveling through, we've had folks who go on vacation, they travel through, and because they watch us at home, they stop and worship with us while they're traveling. And if that's you, I hope you will as well. Because uh, our hope for everyone is to encourage you in following Jesus in your faith walk. Uh, and, and so I hope that this will do this. Today we're beginning a short series called Postcards. And I don't know if you've ever noticed, but there are books in the New Testament that have verses but no chapters. Have you noticed that? They're too short for chapters. Uh, and you may not even know, if you've never really been diligent about reading through the New Testament, you may not even know they're there because they're only a page or two long, and so they're kind of easy to, to go over. But there are four books like that in the New Testament. We're going to take a look at two of them. And they're so short that author uh, Chuck Swindoll called them postcards. And to be sure, they're postcards in length, but not in depth. So they're going to be way more than the weather's beautiful, wish you were here, right? Or as Jimmy Buffett sings, the weather is here, wish you were beautiful. Okay. Uh, yeah, that was way funnier when I was writing it than it was. When it was. <laughs> These brief notes, the first one is going to be to an individual. The second one is going to be to the church uh, overall has a lot to say. And so I just want to take this moment to remind you as well of the Bible Project. We've mentioned this before. Uh, this is, uh, you can find that on YouTube. They've done a great job of doing a synopsis of all of the books of the Bible. And so if you search for the Bible Project Philemon, for example, uh, you see an overview of this letter that we're talking about today. This is just another tool in your tool belt uh, as you read uh, what God is saying to us through his word, reflect on that and what it means to your life. But today we're going to look at the postcard uh, written to Philemon. So if you have your Bible with you, I want to encourage you to open to that, that letter, that book. Uh, it's the one right before Hebrews, which is kind of a big book, and so it's easier to find that way. If you look for Hebrews and then go to the book right in front of it. And while you're looking that up, I want to tell you this. This letter to Philemon is the shortest letter Paul has written. Also, one of the most personal letters he writes, and it is the most explosive uh, letter that he writes. And I'm not going to read the whole letter to you. 
but I will give you the whole story before and during and what we ascertain happened after the letter. We're not told for certain, but we have this clue, and I'll share that at the end. Gives us a pretty good indication. So Philemon, verses 1 and 2. Uh, and uh, I didn't know if you've noticed in our notes and even up here on the screen, we've added chapter one for people who get just a little freaked out, even though there's only one chapter, you have to put a chapter in there or they get kind of nervous. Is there anybody like that? You get kind of jittery when you see verses but no chapters? Because that's, you're weird, all right? I'm just saying, all right? Just <laughs> Verse one of chapter one and the only chapter in Philemon. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Have you ever noticed in the New Testament that letters don't start then, didn't start then like they do now? I mean, today when we write a letter, right, what do you start with? Dear, whoever you're writing to, right? And then you end with love or sincerely or go bucks, or however you sign off, right, on your letters, and then you write your name. And the first, but the first thing you read in letters in the Bible are who it's from. This is from Paul and Timothy. Paul is under house arrest in Rome when he writes this letter, and he's writing to a man by the name of Philemon. Others are included, but primarily, this is to Philemon, and I want to make sure you catch this, to the church that meets inside his house. It seems that Philemon is a wealthy citizen of a city called Colossae. And Paul had led Philemon to Christ, and the two of them were friends. And he's also a leader in that church, and so he has a large enough house that the church actually meets in his house. The church in the city of Colossae meets in his house. And I've said Colossae two or three times because I want you to remember that. Uh, because Paul writes two letters while he's under house arrest in Rome to this city. One is this letter to Philemon. There's a second letter sent at the exact same time to the church in Colossae, or we call that letter Colossians, also in your Bible. So this letter to Philemon, the letter to Colossians, look at what Paul says about Philemon, because I want you to get a feel for the kind of person uh, that he is. Verse 4, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all of his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus, and I pray uh, that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing that we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. And so I just want to ask, do you know people like this that, that give you joy and encouragement and they refresh your heart? Because I do, and they, they absolutely encourage you in your faith uh, and Philemon is one of those guys. So one more detail I want to make sure you have. Uh, there is no postal service like we have today. So these letters were hand-delivered by two people. And the letter to Colossians tells us who it was. In uh, verse 9 and verse 7 says, Tychicus was one of the guys who brought the letter. And so is Onesimus. So according to verse 9, Onesimus is from Colossae. And he's also a faithful and dear brother. So they know who he is. And I'm telling you all of that. All of that's just sort of a buildup because you, th this is going to be very important as we go into this letter to Philemon. You need to know that. So keeping in mind what Paul has just said to Philemon, verses 8 to 11, give us a glimpse into the background of why he's writing. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. 
That sounds ominous, doesn't it? I could, I could make you do this. I could, I could make you, but I, I'd rather you want to do this. Okay, uh, so check it out. It is, it is as, uh, it is, it is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful to both you and to me. So here's the story. Are you ready? On your notes, this is really important. Want to make sure you know who the characters are. Philemon was a leader in the church in Colossae. So you've got a leader in the church. The church meets in his house. Uh, Colossae is modern-day Turkey, uh, if you're thinking of a map in your head. The other character I want to make sure you've got is Onesimus, who is a runaway slave who belonged to Philemon, the leader of the church in Colossae that met in his house. Now, slavery was universally accepted in ancient times. It was actually considered indispensable to civilized society. And scholars speculate that 60 million people at the time of Paul's writing were actually slaves in the Roman Empire, more than one-third of all the total population. Slaves were people that had no rights. They were mere property. They existed for the comfort and the convenience and the pleasure of those who owned them. And sometimes I think people, and maybe you're one of them, they get upset with Paul or with the Bible because they're thinking, why didn't Paul condemn slavery? So I would ask that you consider the context. Slavery was universally accepted in the Roman world in Paul's day. Christianity, although it was spreading quickly, was still tiny in significance to the Roman government and Caesar himself, and quite frankly, God didn't call Paul to abolish slavery. At the same time, he did not call Paul to condone it. He did, however, God did call William Wilberforce to abolish slavery. And so for 46 years of his life, from 1787 to 1833, that's what he chose to do. And actually, three days before Wilberforce died on July 26, 1833, the Emancipation Bill was passed in Parliament, and from that moment on, slavery in the British uh, Empire was no more, which set the stage for that to happen in another country 30 years later through then-President Lincoln. However, it's wrong that, that it was not, it's a wrong that has not been totally righted. And I wish I could tell you that slavery no longer exists today, but that's not true. As a matter of fact, the area in which we leave, the, live, the 7075 corridor, is a major thoroughfare for sex trafficking in our country, even today. Onesimus had wronged Philemon, maybe stolen from him or something, we're not told, but he ran away from Philemon. He traveled 1,200 miles to the biggest city, Rome, and that's where Onesimus becomes acquainted with Paul, coincidentally running into him, uh, and Paul leads him to Jesus. And once he taught Onesimus about Jesus, he challenged Onesimus to go back home to Colossae to make things right with Philemon. Only Paul didn't want Onesimus to go back as a slave. He wanted him to go back as a forgiven brother in Christ. And we sit in the room this morning, and you have to be thinking to yourself, of course that's what he's going to do. But think of how countercultural this would have been for Philemon. And before we go too far down that path, I just want to stop and ask this question. Are you running from something today? And I know I asked that during the Jonah series as well because he was running from God. But isn't it interesting when you read the Bible, 
how many men and women seem to be running from something until they find themselves in front of Jesus. And maybe there's someone here today who's running from their past. There's something sitting behind them, and they don't want anyone to know about it. They want to forget about it, and they keep it buried. They'll keep it buried, and that'll be great, and they don't have to deal with it. Or maybe you've got some issue that you're dealing with right now, and as long as you can keep running fast enough, then maybe it will, it will be okay. But Onesimus is running too, and he ends up running right into the heart of God by a chance meeting with Paul himself. And I don't know if Paul felt this way about everybody, but what he tells us in verse 12 tells us what he thinks about Onesimus. I am sending Onesimus, who is my very heart, back to you, Philemon. So Paul wants those who are at the church in Colossae. Now, do you remember where this church meets again? The church of Colossae meets where? In Philemon's house. He wants them to grasp how wide and deep and long and high the love of God is. The love that is so strong that it would prompt a runaway slave to venture back home. Because that's what Paul tells Onesimus to do. He says, here's the letter I wrote to Philemon. You and Tychicus need to go back. Uh, go back to Colossae. Make this wrong right again. Well, how, how do you do that? I showed you Colossians 4.9 a moment ago. I want you to see that one more time. Because writing a wrong starts with a powerful phrase. He's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. That's what Paul writes to the church in Colossae. He's one of you, you people there in Colossae, in the church. Onesimus is one of you. So here's the reminder that Paul was giving them that he's giving us today because we are one of those people too. Just like them, we are also children of God followers of Jesus, members of the body of Christ. And here's why that's important. It's because righting a wrong is always going to be prompted by a changed heart. Writing a wrong, if, if you've got a wrong that needs righted, it's going to begin with a changed heart. And it would be, listen, it would be incorrect to say that people who do not follow Jesus are not interested in righting wrongs. We all know good people who have great hearts, and they will tell you themselves that they do not follow Jesus, but it hurts their heart when they realize that they have done damage to someone and they want to make it right. So please do not hear me say that at all. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying it's 100% accurate that when we meet Jesus, you will care about righting wrong. You have heard other people say, hey, so I hurt someone's feelings. They'll get over it, right? Of course I steal office supplies. Do you know what they pay me? It's kind of they owe me that. This divorce, it's going to cost them. Big deal, I was a lousy dad. I had a lousy dad growing up. It's the only thing I knew. I just want to say this. Changed hearts open our eyes and our willingness to make right the wrongs. For Onesimus' his entire life, he'd been labeled a slave, and that's all he is. It's all he's ever going to be. A slave with no rights, no purpose, no means of living, no existence, no hope. And then he meets Paul, or, or better, more accurately, he meets Jesus through Paul. And just like Philemon did, and just like the people in the church in Colossae. And I tell you this so that you'll picture uh, what happens, what we assume happens next. We assume that Philemon reads this letter from Paul. He chooses to do what Paul says, and he forgives Onesimus. 
and both Philemon and Onesimus were in the assembly together in Philemon's house when the letter to the church was read out loud. And so they would have heard these words sitting next to Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. It's quite likely that they were sitting together uh, as living proof that we are one in Christ because changed hearts right wrongs. Even when the wrong isn't recognized by the culture in which we live. Paul wants everyone to know the good news. Onesimus is one of you. He wants Philemon to let that sink deep into his mind and deep into his heart. That Onesimus is a follower of Jesus who has had his heart changed. He has been transformed because that's what Christianity is and that's what Christianity does. So on your notes, this is a reminder that the implications of the gospel are personal, but they're never private. In Jesus' family, there can be no divisions there is no Jew and non-Jew. There is no slave and free. There is no male and female. Among us, all of us are equal. We have this common ground relationship with Jesus, and all of us need his grace. We all stand on level ground. Here's what's ironic. In this letter, Onesimus is a slave, but he's really free. He's been set free. And just like then, today there are free people who are really slaves because they have not chosen to come to the one who can and will and not only wants to, but died to set them free. But after you choose Jesus, you suddenly find yourself seeing life with very compassionate eyes, which leads to the very next uh, thing in, in righting a wrong. We looked at Philemon one twelve already, but be reminded of what it says so that we can understand what it actually means. I'm sending him who is my heart back to you. Again, for clarity, Philemon, I'm sending him back to you. I'm sending Onesimus, your runaway slave, back to you. Because righting a wrong takes courage. Nobody in this room thinks it's easy. Nobody does. But think about how Onesimus heard this. Onesimus, here's the letter. I wrote it to Philemon. I want you to go back home and give it to him. Seriously? That's what you want me to... So, hey, Paul, thanks, really? But you know what masters are allowed to do with runaway slaves, right? I mean, Philemon's going to make an example of me. And Philemon was in his, within his rights to punish Onesimus. He could have made him a slave again. He could have had him thrown into prison. He could have had him crucified as an example for every other slave to see what happens to a slave that runs away. It was legal, and in the first century, it was what everybody would have accept, uh, expected Philemon to do. So not only did it take courage from Onesimus to go back, but think about what Paul was asking Philemon to do. Because not only did it run counter to their culture, but what do you think Philemon's slave-owning friends were going to say to him about how his actions reflected on them? And I say that because there has to be someone here who has a wrong to right, and it's going to take courage. And you may be thinking to yourself, uh, so what, you're... You're saying you want me to work up the courage to reconcile with my sister? Is that what you're saying? You want me to apologize to my wife for being an insensitive doofus for all these years? 
You want, wait a minute, you're wanting me to reconsider filing for bankruptcy? Wait, you want me to go to my adult children and ask them to forgive me for being an uncaring parent? Is that what you want? Yes. That's what I want. That's because that's what the Bible talks about because that's the heart of God. As the opportunity arises, try to right the wrong. Or worst case scenario, I go to my brother because I borrowed money from him and didn't pay him back. And he just blows the whole thing off. And then what do I do? Well, your responsibility is to try. And so that's what you're being called to do. As with Onesimus, you may need to enlist some help because sometimes not only does righting a wrong take courage, it also involves, uh, has to involve a friend. At times, you will need to involve a friend. It's verses 17 to 22. Look at what Paul writes to Philemon. So if you consider me, if you consider me, Paul, a partner, welcome him, Onesimus, as you would welcome me. If Onesimus has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hands. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me, uh, you know, your very self, which again, a little underhanded, it seems to me that Paul is being there. Uh, I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit to you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And, oh, by the way, one more thing, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. But what I want you to catch is Paul is offering his help. I'm vouching for this guy. So find somebody that you really trust. I mean, you, you would trust your life with them. Someone who is wise, but even more importantly, someone who fears God and ask them to help you right this wrong. They just might go the extra step for you. On your notes, moment of authenticity. Someone here this morning has to be thinking, the stuff I did years ago or even a month ago is no big deal. What happened to me as a kid, there is no use in dredging up the past. I'm telling you, that stuff is dead and gone. It's buried. It will never be found. An interesting thing happened on April 28, 2007, so 12 years ago, although actually it happened 70 years ago. Twelve years ago, an earthquake in the region of the Solomon Islands shook loose a World War II torpedo boat that had rested on the ocean floor for over 60 years. Same kind of PT boat, by the way, that uh, President uh, John F. Kennedy commanded. The boat's hull was completely intact, explosives and all. And a bomb unit was deployed to detonate the torpedo safely. Experts believe that the PT boat is just one of many pieces of military wreckage that just pepper the coastline of the Solomon Islands. And Jay uh, Wara of the National Disaster Management Office said, we are amazed at this finding as previously this wreckage had long been sitting under the sea and rusting in peace without anyone knowing about it. Isn't that interesting? On your notes, one more time. Suddenly what's buried in our lives shakes loose and become suddenly and explosively relevant again. Because we think it's long gone. And we think it's got no relevance whatsoever to our today because it's in our past. But it becomes suddenly and explosively relevant again. And we have the ability to do something about it, but it most certainly takes courage. Interestingly, the New Testament doesn't tell us what Philemon's response is. There's no clue in the New Testament. 
miracle we do have is after 50 years, uh, 50 years after Paul wrote to Philemon, one of the early church fathers, whose name was Ignatius, wrote to the church in Ephesus, and his, uh, uh, and he addresses his letter to their pastor, who was a man by the name of Onesimus. And this letter, although it's not part of the New Testament, it is part of early church history, and in that letter, Ignatius referred to Pastor Onesimus as one who was formerly useless, who is now useful. I just want to say, righting a wrong, you never know how far-reaching the results are of righting a wrong. It could reach generations of people because you had the courage today to do something that's killing you to even think about. And it changes the life of somebody you can't even imagine and their children and their children and their children and the lives that their children's lives touch because you obeyed God and did the hard thing. If that is you this morning, please can I encourage you to make the courageous choice. And there are some in the room this morning that perhaps the wrong that needs righted is your relationship with God because you've never made a commitment to him. I mean, you come to church, don't get me wrong, you come to church, you sing the songs, but you have never said, I want you to be the Lord of my life. From now on, you call the shots, which is why when we read something like this, that is horribly, terribly difficult to do. We yield to it because we no longer call the shots in our lives. Jesus calls the shots in our lives. And if we're going to follow his leadership, we do the courageous thing. And for you this morning, the courageous next step in your faith just could be turning your life over to him. Let's go to him.